Welcome to Invest in Women, the podcast series, your insight into the growing wealth of women and the issues that impact their business and yours. See what happens when you educate, empower, and invest in women. All right, Heather Fortner, who is the chair and chief executive officer of Signature FD, is with us. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Good morning. Thank you for having me. I mean, so CEO, I mean, that's, uh, do, do you make people kiss your ring or, you know, no. anytime I have friends in that position, Lord, no. I usually, <laughs> no, uh, but, but let's talk a little bit about your journey to CEO, because I think again, for a lot of women, um, especially those who are older, maybe pivoting careers that they love to hear stories and, and kind of mentorship of how women get to these boardrooms and these leadership positions. So if you don't mind, let's just start there. Like how, where did your journey begin? Yeah. So I actually started as an intern in this business and then did financial planning work for two years, went and helped start a trust company from ground up for about two years and then ended up at Signature FD because I wanted to get back into the client side of the business Mm -hmm. and started as a client service associate and loved what I was doing, but was just always really hungry for more and never wanted to be bored because I had learned that I'm just not a really great human when I'm bored, get myself (laughs) into way too much trouble. So it was, it was just a a beautiful pairing because Signature FD was super small then, you know, we were about 250 million under management and we had an insurance agency, which we still have. And at the time we were doing mortgages as well. Mm -hmm. So there was always something to do or help with or learn And so that was, it was just a phenomenal place to spread my wings a little bit and start to learn more aspects of the financial services business in general. Uh, And so two years into that, I started at the beginning of 2003. In 2004, the SEC said, hey, every registered investment advisor has to have a chief compliance officer. And so I was like, well, that sounds fun. The popular people amongst, uh, (laughs) shout out to all the compliance people. (laughs) I cannot say that I've ever met anybody who like at five years old on their first grade, (laughs) what do you want to be when you grow up was a chief compliance officer that I've, I've just never met that. So, but I was naive, I guess, and and said, you know, oh, sure, something new to learn. I'll, I'll go learn that. So got that training in 2005, became the chief compliance officer. And I tell every everybody, every woman, especially that I meet, that opportunity, just kind of stepping into, I didn't, I didn't have the first clue about being anything compliance related, understanding what that was about, but just jumped at the opportunity. That put me in the boardroom because that was a guiding role for Mm -hmm. the board decisions from a regulatory perspective. And so while I wasn't a voting member of the board, the fact that I was now in the room and able from that point forward to see and hear and experience and learn how a board works how governance works, how decisions are made. Um, I, I always tell people the compliance role is 
I think one of the best training grounds for business related learnings, because not only are you having to work within a very complex framework of regulation, but you're also having to evaluate risk and determine, is this a compliance risk? Is this a business risk? How much risk can our organization take? Uh, and, And learning to apply that knowledge make those types of decisions when, you know what, it, it, it could be wrong. You, mm-hmm. you could make a decision that you took too much risk and that doesn't work out well. But learning the process of due diligence and leaning into, well, so-and-so thinks this and so-and-so thinks that, and how do you bring those two things together? Um, it was just a really phenomenal learning ground for me. So I did that for 15 years at the same time that I was leading the operational platform of the firm. Wow. So, so I carried both the chief operating officer and the chief compliance officer role at the same time, which I believe was advantageous for our firm because we were able to build the necessary requirements simply into the framework of how things operated within mm-hmm. us. And, and when you can do that, when you can make it easy for people to operate and do the things that they're supposed to do every day to be compliant, but you build it into the system so that the majority, uh, it's not hard, it's not extra, it just happens. Um, that I think has been part of our success in in having quality controls in place and ensuring that we're being our best selves and the best firm that we can be for our clients. So, you know, most people look at me and they're like, man, that, that's a crazy story. And I'm like, yeah, but it kind of works. <laughs> well, I think, but it, it fits your personality. Cause I, you know, I had a conversation recently with someone when we were talking about business and it was, you can't ignore your personality. If you're the type of, if you're the personality that likes to get up first thing in the morning, get all your stuff done, then you need to know that about yourself in order to, you know, be the most efficient and productive person you are for you. Like you said, you don't like to be bored. So all these things are things that don't overwhelm you. They excite you because again, that's your personality. And it makes sense though, uh, to do the operation and the compliance and it goes smoothly because, you know, I joked earlier because too many times I think compliance is like that redheaded stepchild, no offense to the redheads in the audience, (laughs) but the redheaded stepchild in the corner where it's like, Oh, okay, fine. We got to, talk to compliance, you know, where that attitude in itself is a breeding ground for friction, right? And so for your company, you know, like you said, you were able to build it to where it was a s- smooth sailing when you when the company grew. And I got some really great advice because you do specifically in that role. And, and quite honestly, sometimes, you know, even in the CEO role, you, you, you're not the person that everybody invites to happy hour. <laughs> Let's be brief, right? Like, there's a whole lot of parties that I don't get an invitation to. And that can be really lonely and really isolating, but you want to do a good job and you want to be sure that you are being the best professional that you can be in that seat. And I got some really great advice early on that was don't be the no person, be the okay, well, let's figure this out together person. 
-hmm. Because if you can take the issue and you can put the issue on the table and it's not personal to either party in the room, both of you can then look at the issue. You can poke at the issue. You can throw what ifs at the issue and you get better thinking. You get better outcomes. You get you get to a place together where if one person's asking for something and the other person just says no, that breeds tension in the workplace when actually both of you are actually aligned to, we both want what's best for the client and we both want what's best for the organization. So let's just communicate in a way that makes that possible for both of us. And I think, you know, my my graduate training is actually in professional counseling. And so I think having that training um, and learning those skills in a in an environment that was actually an educational training manner allowed me to bring those skills into the workplace uh, in a way that, you know, a lot of other people, it's not like uh, schools are teaching active listening skills, right? Right. right. You know, and that's not like that's a home ec course anymore. And so a lot of people have to learn that the hard way and they have to just try to navigate it the best that they can. And I was just really blessed that I, it was a class that I took and it was mm-hmm. framing that I received that I was then able to bring into oh. the business. Well, especially in this culture where, and you know, as the media professional, there's now this culture that the average person can be a celebrity. And so it's me, me, me. And like you said, it's not about listening, it's about talking. A lot of people feel like, oh, I've got to get my information out there to be successful instead of mm-hmm. collaborating with my audience. And like for you and your and your um, employees. The other thing too, I thought in, you know, it's kind of military style where you start off in the military at the bottom, you can work your way up. And I think the respect is, you know, I'm, I'm the daughter of an army guy, that the respect is built in because whoever is the grunt understands that their commanding officer did what they did first before commanding them, right? So the same with you, like you started out as an intern in this business. So I'm sure that that too, you working your way up allows you to communicate better with someone whose job you likely did or did something similar to, or what at least was in that similar level in the company. So do you find that that has been an advantage for you to work from the bottom up? I find that it had the, the advantage that I know that I carry having been here and, and had my hands in multiple areas of the business is that I can connect dots across the organization just because likely at some point, you know, I either helped create this document or I was in this conversation or, you know, I remember the strategy session where we said X just because of being in the room, the longevity with the organization and having touched so many Uh, places in the organization. So connecting those dots, being able to give the historical context around, well, here's why we did that. We were up against this, 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 and this, and this is how we arrived at this solution. This solution might not be the best solution moving forward, but are we sure that these other factors aren't still at And so being able to help the current senior leadership team 
with that historical context of, you know, just broadening the scope, broadening the field of vision to be sure that we are thoughtful and inclusive of all perspectives and all factors that are relating to the issue that we're trying to solve. You know, it. I think that's the real benefit. I also think to your point, I think sometimes it's harder to grow up through an organization and then sit in a leadership seat than it is to grow up somewhere and then go to another firm and sit in a leadership seat. Because mm-hmm. you have to think, I've grown up with a lot of these people. Yeah. And so sometimes there have been instances where they're still seeing me in the seat that I sat in 20 years ago, not the seat that I'm sitting in today. And Mm -hmm. so those transitions can be really hard when you've known and grown up with people, not only in the business, but in life as well. That is an interesting point because, you know, just in life in general, from siblings to parents to whatever, you know, you have this perspective of, you know, you you tease your parents for, oh, I'm not a baby anymore, mom, right. you know, where <laughs> from your mom's perspective, you're always the baby, right? And it's so uh, that's a great point that that takes a little bit of toughness on your part to be able to help them transition that perspective from someone who may have been someone who was at a different level than them and now is the boss. It's, Um, I will tell you, I think, so we went through a succession when I became CEO in 2020, there, there are still founders in our business, two founders that that transition from, I mean, they hired me as a client service associate. And I am now the CEO of the organization that they founded. Like, I don't know that our industry in and of itself, as we move towards the next probably 10 years of a lot of founders having or needing or wanting to transition out of their business, I don't know that we've given enough credence or enough thought to the emotional impact that founders will experience as they try to um, bring the next generation of leaders up and install them in their organizations. It's hard on both sides. Yeah, no, you're right. Because I, you know, again, with our society, it's not like they celebrate age. Mm -hmm. So I think for everybody who's aging, you forget that it's hard. And that and giving up or moving past something you spent your life doing. That's, right. that's exactly right. Is something. So again, that's a that's a testament to you for having that sensitivity and that thought because a lot of people, like you said, don't even consider that. You know, they oh well, they're making so much money, they're set for life, they're this. But you know what? Money doesn't change the fact, you know, money can't keep you from aging. No. <laughs> so, no. And that's hard. No, absolutely not. It'd be um, nice if it could, though. <laughs> I don't know, right? I mean, people try, but you know, it, it doesn't always look look too good. So, uh, Heather, let's talk. Um, you know, here uh, before we end our conversation about the uniqueness of you being a woman, right? Mm-hmm. So, it you know, it's a it, talking about society and transitions. You know, the the last couple of generations have been uh, unique in which more women have been in the workplace, more women have been in leadership roles. And for some, it's a difficult, uh, you know, path, but it doesn't necessarily have to be 
for many, it's been a good path uh, for them to have a lot of men who've been supportive and helped them along the way. So if you don't mind talking to uh, some of the women who may be in that um, process, uh, and it may be intimidating for them to think of that they may be the only woman in a room or one of the few that are in an organization. So, you know, what makes you unique being a woman in your position? Man, that that's such a loaded question. Um, I would offer that it's always hard to be the only woman in the room. It's, it's always difficult. Um, there's a, a range of emotion, a range of skill that, that you have to employ in order to not only really survive, but to thrive in, in that room specifically, because there will always be things that you are excluded from. Um, you know, I don't play golf. I don't, I don't, I'm not a good old boy. Like I, I, I don't, I, I'm not there and that's okay. I think for me, the process of figuring out that's okay. Like, I don't, I don't need to be them to lead them. And that was such a revelation for me. And that's not only from the perspective of being a woman, but I, I was never an advisor. I was a financial planner and I was a COO and I was a CCO and I was a president, but I never sat in front of clients and was a, a relationship manager that, that worked with a group of clients over a period of time. And there are very few financial services firms that are not led by people who used to be advisors. And so I think the uniqueness is not, yes, I'm a woman and there are a lot of men, but there are also a lot of other women. So I'm not so sure that the uniqueness is just being female. I think for me, the uniqueness is, oh, well, not only are you a woman, but you are also just raised differently. You've had a different career track. You've also had different training. I don't have a master's in tax or a PFS or a CFP or a CFA or all those acronyms that, you know, really show expertise in a certain thing. I have a graduate degree in professional counseling, right? And so I think for all of us within our organization and for me specifically, learning to find my value and being confident in my value in the fact that I am different and I am unique and I do bring different things to the table. I think that's the most valuable lesson. You don't have to be them to lead them. I and love that. So it just for me was this moment of just speaking that over myself when in moments of doubt, you're like, man, I, I'm just not like everybody else. And guess what? It's beautiful. Right. Okay. That is the yeah. whole core of why diversity and inclusion and, and those things matter because right. differences make us better. Well, and that's freeing also for some of the men in the organization, because sometimes <laughs> I, I feel bad for guys who feel like they have to fit in and they're not yeah. like the other guys. Yeah. Right. So, you know, it's freeing right. everybody. Right. Yeah, every that what makes a great organization everybody being themselves. That's and exactly right. Yeah. It's 
beauty of humankind. And I think when we can actually lean into that and celebrate who people are and their whole selves, and you create that space, I think that's one of the things that has made Signature FD unique is the fact that we really do work hard. And I'm not saying we get it right all of the time, but we do work hard at creating spaces where people can bring their whole selves safely to work. And, and that psychological safety and focusing on creating that, that space, um, I think you foster a space where wonderful people can be wonderfully successive, successful and, and serve clients in a way that clients deserve to be served. Heather Fortner, thank you so much. What a joy this has been. <laughs> I want you to be my boss now for from here on out. So, I mean, no offense to, you know. <laughs> magazine. I'm just saying that I, you know, uh, but anyway, Heather, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Melissa. I appreciate you having me. Thank you for listening to invest in women, the podcast series, your insight into the growing wealth of women and how to attract and retain your female clients and help scale your practice. Learn more by subscribing to this podcast or visiting fa-mag.com.